Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 51 of Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I am Leah. And y'all know what time it is. What time? Yeah, that's right. It's time for a Leah takeover episode. Yeah, that wasn't a very good one. No, that was actually, I was impressed. It sounded like a cross between an air horn and a chicken. It was good. I mean, you knew what it was. Yeah. Okay. So as you guys know, tradition requires that I take a walk down history lane during the first episode of our season. And I promise this one will not disappoint. That is if you're into serial killers, yeah. blood, gore, yeah. lost yeah. hope, and dead dreams. <laughs> like we are. Yeah, all, all of those things sound like exactly what I'm into. So <laughs> Perfect. How, could I, how, how else would I describe myself? Into serial killers, blood, gore, dead dreams. Dead dreams. That's yeah. me. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> In today's episode, we're going to be diving into multiple instances of women serial killers from the early modern period, a category of history you may be shocked to hear isn't small. Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. Now, today I am going to focus mostly on Elizabeth Bathory, the blood countess, and her unfortunate victims. But before I begin, I do have to give a shout out to our friend and listener, Jasmine, who suggested Bathory as a topic to us. Hey, girl, hey. <laughs> thank you, Jasmine. Yeah, thank you. So Bathory has been labeled by Guinness World Records as the most prolific female murderer in history. Yeah. But the precise number of her victims is debated. I'm thinking just over time, things have gotten a little blown up. But sure. we'll talk about that and much more. But before I get my engines roaring, I believe my lovely co-host, my BFF, my love, the cream cheese to my bagel, my Vanna White for the evening, Rachel, <laughs> has a cocktail to share with us. And I think we're going to need it for this one. Oh my God, yeah. Let's drink. <laughs> Let's drink. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Yeah, so like I already shared, I don't know anything about Elizabeth Bathory other than I know her what moniker? The Blood Countess. Is the yeah, the Blood Countess. So I'm gonna assume that blood is involved. Yeah. Question mark, question mark. Mm -hmm. uh, so when searching for a cocktail for this week's episode, I pretty much just searched for drinks that had the word blood in them, which is really super gross, but that's <laughs> what I did. So um, I found a cocktail titled the Witch's Blood Cocktail. In addition to it feeling really on brand with this week's topic, I also chose it specifically for this week because with it being one of your takeover episodes, Leah, I thought it only right to choose a cocktail that has three of your favorite things in it. Whiskey, mm -hmm. right? That's your favorite? Uh, yes. Liquor. Okay. Pomegranates, I'm assuming, are your favorite because you make like 85 pounds of, of pomegranate jelly every year. Every year. Every year. Yeah. So either you love it or hate it. Uh, <laughs> and then I know you love ginger beer. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's essentially what this cocktail is. The ingredients for the witch's blood cocktail, one and a half ounces of whiskey, um, an ounce of blood orange liqueur. We use just plain old orange liqueur because 
if you've never listened to our podcast before, welcome. We don't put together expensive cocktails. No. And blood orange liqueur was $35 at Total Wine. Yeah. And like, come on, we're going to put a shot or like one ounce in both of our drinks. And then we're going to have this liqueur for the next five years. Yeah. So I instead just bought regular orange liqueur, which was still $15 and hurt me very much. Thank you. (laughs) Um, An ounce of Leah's homemade pomegranate juice. Mm -hmm. And then half an ounce of lemon juice topped off with ginger beer. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. And it does look like blood. It does. It's that like red, deep red color. C- color. Color. Do you like it a lot? I do. Okay. I-, I couldn't tell what her face was. <laughs> it's the whiskey, huh? We haven't had whiskey in a very long time. I love whiskey. I know. You would just drink it straight. Yeah. I mean, I have. <laughs> I really like it because we haven't had whiskey and so it really feels like so long. I was really concerned that the pomegranate would like clash with the whiskey and maybe there's a little bit of that. That's what I was sent. That's why I thought you were making that face initially is that this it's good, but there is you feel a clash in your mouth. (laughs) Yeah, which but I can get over it. Yes. It's kind of like um, it's basically a Kentucky mule with pomegranate juice. Yeah. And orange liqueur. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rating? Oof. Nine. Yeah. Starting off season six. So strong. So strong. Oh my gosh. Does, is this any sign for the rest of the season? It either means it's going to be really good. Or it's all or downhill. It's all downhill. <laughs> this kind of tastes like an icy to me. A red oh, icy. Oh. Like if you slushified it. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should. Slushified it. I, I was just thinking of. Not that I ever do, but next time I go to AM, PM to get a slushy, which literally I never do, but I'm going to only fill it up like halfway and fill the rest with whiskey. Was that? No. Okay. I was, I was like, didn't we like get slushies and then put vodka in them? No, it was pink lemonade with vodka. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. During one of our Jack in the Box. Yes. Adventures. Adventures. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yum. Um, Thank you. Really good job. Thanks. I get to do it once a season. So, and my last one wasn't fantastic. What it was, was it? Uh, for Catherine the Great. I mixed her like German heritage with her. Oh no! But um, remember, it was surprisingly good. It was the Jaeger. I just burped. I don't remember thinking it was good. I remember thinking we're it was, gonna have to go back because I okay. feel like we were both like shocked. <laughs> yes, shocked is different than good though. It's oh. because it's saying like it's good for what I expected. Okay, right. Yeah. That's different than like this is genuinely good. Yeah. See? okay okay all right <laughs> anyway okay so are we ready to dive into the weirdly specific facet of european history so ready okay cool because we're doing it okay <laughs> <laughs> our first femme fatale for the evening as i mentioned before is the countess elizabeth bathory de Exet of hungary mm. yeah she was born August 7th in 1560. To give you a little idea of the vibes of Hungary at the time, Elizabeth was niece to the Voivod of Transylvania. So, like, think Dracula. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, if you need to picture something, that's what I would picture. Okay. She was the daughter of a baron of royal Hungary. She had another uncle that was actually king of Poland. Very incestuous right yeah. here. Um, she grew up in Exed Castle, which I've included a picture of here for Miss Rachel to describe. Okay. I am describing a picture, which I always feel very put on the spot when I do this. Um, huge. Yeah. Huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, several 
different buildings. There's obviously like a main building, a bridge area. There, there, there's several buildings that are all connected by a bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very large, lots of towers, looks like a medieval castle. Yeah. So she lived a very lavish lifestyle. Yeah. As you can see in that, that was just her, the house she grew up in. But wow. her family had others. Her uncle ruled a country like she lived super lavishly especially for the time period and this she's gonna be a killer yeah get ready now rumor has it that as a chitlin bathory suffered multiple seizures that may have been caused by epilepsy possibly stemming from the inbreeding of her parents you heard that right her parents were like first cousins Which I know was not unusual at the time, especially in noble families who wanted to keep the bloodlines pure or whatever. But just, ew, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> let's just put that ew. out there. Ew. <laughs> Interestingly, in the 1500s, symptoms relating to what we know now as epilepsy were diagnosed as falling mm-hmm. sickness. And treatments included rubbing the blood of a non-epileptic person on the lips of an <gasps> epileptic person. Um, or even grosser, giving the epileptic a mix of non-epileptic blood and a piece of their skull as their episode ended. What? Yeah, that's literally what I wrote. What? <laughs> People were just cutting out chunks of their skulls. I don't understand. Yeah, fully. I'm actually trying to totally visualize that. I don't know if it was like a dead person's chunk of skull. I don't understand or okay. know. Okay, Wow. We're yeah. just getting right into it right off the bat. Okay. Yeah. Also, I'd like you to just say epileptic five times fast. I'm going to try. Epileptic, 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 epileptic. Not bad. Mm, yeah, I had good. to say the last one slower on yeah. purpose. That wasn't just for <laughs> emphasis. I physically had to. So this has led to speculation that Bathory's killings during her later life were part of her efforts to cure the illness that she had been suffering from since childhood. However, there is no hard evidence supporting that. Or even just being exposed to such cruel medical practices. Maybe she normalized things like that. I don't know. I mean, I would imagine living in a medieval times, medieval world, like... It's all normalized? It's all normalized. Yeah. People, like, put people's heads on the ends of spikes. Right, right. But what I'm saying is, like, anything... We haven't gotten into all the craziness that this woman's about to do. Yes. Um, And I can tell by the look on your face, it's a lot. Yes. Um, And my stomach may feel sick later. Yeah. But these things that we consider as, like, cruel, inhumane, crazy now were normal then. Mm -hmm. So maybe these things weren't entirely outrageous to her. Yeah. Especially because it was since she was a kid that it was right. happening. So there isn't a ton more information I could find on her childhood. And I'm using air quotes because the next fact I'm about to throw at you is very much still in what we would consider her childhood. Okay. Okay. Elizabeth was engaged at 10. Oh. To um, Ferenc Nadazdi, son of a lower class baron. And again, I know this was commonplace at the time, but I cannot imagine being engaged at 10. It took me like how many years to get engaged? (laughs) Wink, wink, cough, cough. (laughs) Yeah. Like I was watching SpongeBob and doing those threaded hair wraps when I was 10, thinking I looked super cool. Oh my God. You remember those? Yes. Yes. I have not thought about those since I was 10 years old. You're welcome. Thank you for bringing that back. Mm -hmm. Those were pretty gross. They were really gross. I'd leave them in for a long time and while I like showered over it so the threads would get like wet and then dry and then you could smell them. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Wow. Thank you bad. for that throwback. Mm-hmm. No yeah. problem. That was that was a very fond <laughs> memory, actually. <laughs> so Elizabeth and Nadazdi were married about five years later when she was 15 and he was 19. And this part gets me. <laughs> she refused to take his name since he was of a lower standing in the class system than she was. So instead, dude took her name. <laughs> wow. Like... I'm both like girl power and also like rolling my eyes over that. So funny. Right. There, there is uh, an, a small element of like woman empowerment. Yes. But also a very large element of like class discrimination. Yes. <laughs> Anywho, as a wedding pre- present, Nadasdi, now Mr. Bathory, <laughs> gifted his estate of Castle Catchticky. Okay. Catchtiki Country House and 17 adjacent villages to Elizabeth. Wowza. Wow. Yeah. So that I'm was trying just... to remember what I got as a wedding gift and that was not it. Literally, <laughs> I almost wrote down like I got like, you know, some cards, some nice cards. You know, I got nicer things. Yes. But... Of course, we got nice things as wedding gifts. We got wonderful things as wedding gifts, but it wasn't a castle and what was it, 17 adjacent villages. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd like a redo. please. <laughs> so tell us what um, Catchtiki looks like sure so it looks like a castle Mm -hmm. um on a hill Mm -hmm. um beautiful medieval sort of the things that would you would see in like a horror movie isolated very isolated it's the only thing in this picture and it's very high up on a hill appears to be the only thing on that hill imagine instead of it looking like pretty blue skies gray skies lightning bolt striking down (laughs) behind it like terrifying then yeah so everything i said about it maybe looking beautiful i actually (laughs) meant to say terrifying (laughs) but yeah it's very isolated yes for sure pretty quickly nadazdi became chief commander of the hungarian troops and was off fighting wars and stuff against those pesky ottomans leaving elizabeth to her own devices during this time she kept up the estate and defended it Anytime the Ottomans threatened it and and her people in those 17 villages. Mm-hmm. And she was actually known to have aided in multiple instances, um, women who were left destitute or ruined by the war. Oh, okay. So she was actually doing okay. Mm-hmm. She had her first daughter, Anna, in 1585, followed by a son, Ursula. Mm-hmm. In 1590, daughter Catherine, Katharina in 1594, and son, Andreas, in 1596 her husband died in 1604 at the age of 48 not bad for medieval times long life yeah and (laughs) and once again um left elizabeth to her own devices washington cannot be left to his own devices (laughs) something like that right Oh my god. All of the Hamilton references. Now, before we move on, I did just want us to describe a late 16th century copy of the now lost portrait of Elizabeth, originally painted in 1585 when she was 25, just so we can get a visual of this sure. lady before we go into kind of some other stuff. Um, standard. Mm-hmm. White. Mm-hmm. Long nose. Pre- pretty. Let me start by saying, like, she looks pretty. Yeah. She looks average. Mm-hmm. Average pretty. Yeah. I see like a long nose, very large, ovally eyes. She has the whole ruffle collar, big, big headdress yeah. thing going on. Mm-hmm. Very large jewelry on too. She has a very large necklace kind of showing off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else that I'm missing? No, that's pretty much it. I just also needed to comment that there's something about like medieval style portraits that creep me out. 
Yeah. Like they didn't know how to do the eyes right or something. Yes. It's, so, it's not realistic. Yeah. And so it lends itself to me thinking creepy. You know what um, Uncanny Valley is? Oh, I've heard that. What is that? It's where something is almost realistic, but not realistic enough. And so it creeps you out. Yeah. Like humans are like people were kind of creeped out by um, the Polar Express. Right. Because it was like so human. Yeah. But it wasn't. Yeah. And so it made people feel weird. That's kind of maybe like almost I get that sense from medieval yeah. pictures, too. Is there something not human here? Yeah. So that was the last um, normal thing about her life that we're going to talk about. Oh, right. So here's when the gross stuff allegedly occurred. Okay. <laughs> After Nadasdi's death in 1604, rumors of Bathory's cruelty began to surface. Um, though it should be noted that some rumors actually say Nadasdi was also involved in the carnage before he died. But according to most testimonies, Bathory's cruelty began after her husband's death. Okay. Now, before I dig into details, A, I'd like to issue a little warning that pretty much the rest of the episode gets to be pretty gory, so trigger warning. And do, I, do I get that trigger warning? Can I shut off the episode? No. Okay. <laughs> You've subjected me to some pretty gross stuff. <laughs> You're, right. You're right. This is payback. <laughs> and then also, B, it should be noted that at the time, cruel beatings were commonplace, especially against peasants by nobility. But the Countess rose above the commonplace. She developed a taste for something far more sinister than your average peasant beating noblewoman. Oof. Just had to put that out there. Okay. Well, hello there. Do you wish your high school history course had more drinking, more swearing, and more ladies? Well, do we have the show for you. Her Story on the Rocks is a long-form podcast talking about good women, bad women, fictional women, and non-fictional women from all times and places. Basically, each week we pair two women who we research with a themed signature cocktail. You won't be sorry you listen to our latest episode. Available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Cheers. Cheers. So Bathory's first victims were allegedly lower class girls aged 10 to 14 years old, lured to the castle by the promise of employment. Yeah. The atrocities described most consistently include, get ready, severe beatings with lashes, knives, irons, and cudgels, which I had to look up Mm -hmm. and are basically just clubs, burning or mutilation of hands. Being doused in cold water and then thrown out in the snow to freeze to death. Being starved to death. Being covered in honey and then ants. Having needles shoved under their fingernails. (gasps) And then having said fingers chopped off if they tried to remove the needles. Oh, my God. And clearly this is all just for her own enjoyment, right? Oh, Yeah. We'll get to, like, the reasonings behind it. Um, So grab your barf bags. (laughs) Because some accounts claim that Bathory would bite the flesh off of the faces arms and other body parts of her victims (laughs) and um probably worst of all bathory was suspected of cannibalism so she didn't just bite she swallowed (laughs) oh god oh my god yeah that's pretty gross so after years of terrorizing the lower class of her region, she was said to have begun killing the daughters of the lower gentry who were sent to her estate by their parents to learn courtly etiquette. Because oh, remember, wow. she is like upper class, right? She had a high rank. She had all this land, all this power. Yeah. And she obviously is someone that they would consider. Um, I mean, someone they'd send their daughters to to learn about. It was an opportunity. Manners, right. Yeah. 
Um, this is likely when she began being called out on her terror since, you know, noble daughters' lives are more important than peasants. Yes. And when they're not returning home yeah. or they're returning home with bite marks in their face. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, the royal class started paying attention to the rumors that had been surrounding Bathory for years. Mm. Now, how many total victims did she inflict her horrendous acts on, you ask? There are reports of up to 600 total victims, all of which were young women. That's what makes her the Guinness World Record holder. Wow. The stories of Bathory's sadistic serial murders are verified by the testimonies of more than 300 witnesses <gasps> and survivors, as well as physical evidence, not to mention the presence of horribly mutilated dead and dying maidens found in her courtyard and basement when she was eventually arrested. Oh, my God. And I would say like 300 witnesses. You said 300 witnesses and survivors. I would loop those witnesses into survivors if they witness that that's horrible yeah. they're survivors of her sadistic acts too yeah jeez some of the witnesses that came forward reported having seen traces of torture on dead bodies some of which were buried in like public graves or public graveyards and others found in unmarked graves near the castle mm-hmm. um this is how those rumors started Two court officials claim to have personally witnessed the countess torture and kill young servant girls, but it has to be noted that most of the witnesses testified that they had heard the accusations from someone else, Mm. but didn't actually see it themselves. And the servants who admitted to the crimes, like assisting her in her crimes, did so under torture. So potentially unreliable witnesses. Yeah. So the question has to be begged, were these just horrendous rumors that got out of hand? I don't know. I for me hundreds of witnesses. Yeah. They're not all lying. Yeah, for me it's the number that makes it like it has to be based in truth somewhere, right? Yes. So while historical documents do seem to support the accusations against her, modern research indicates that Bathory, a powerful woman, might have been the target of politically motivated slander that allowed relatives to divvy up her lands after her death. Sure. This theory is shot down by a lot of researchers, though, since the damage done to her and her family's name afterwards was severe. So any connection I, to her, like... you, I see. They're not benefiting. They're not benefiting. Yeah. It's hard to imagine a family member would actually rake their own name through the mud in order to seize portions of her land, but who knows what those medieval crazies were doing. (laughs) Right. Different time. (laughs) Different time. So, again, I tend to believe the truth has got to be somewhere in the middle. Right. Agreed. Regardless, on December 30th, 1609, Elizabeth Bathory and her servants were arrested. The servants accused of aiding her in torture and murder were put on trial a couple years later, and three were executed when they confessed to helping her under torture. Mm-hmm. Bathory, though never tried, was imprisoned in Castle Ketchtiki and reportedly kept in a bricked-in room where she died in 1614 at the age of 54. That must suck to be imprisoned in a castle. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh so the final question that has to be asked before we move on is why yes why the heck did she do it was it just for enjoyment and entertainment yeah 
We already talked about one theory, which is that she was using the blood of her victims to cure her epilepsy. But that is pretty unsubstantiated claims. Um, and it doesn't take into account the brutal torture and beatings of her victims. Like she didn't just like slit their throat and take their blood. Like she was torturing them. Yes. Some scholars believe she was possibly a sexual sadist in addition to a psychopath, since very often there was a sexual element to the punishments she inflicted, like genital mutilation. Yeah. Well, I think that's generally what they say about serial killers, right? Is they're getting some kind of sexual gratification out of killing. In the years that followed her death, Bathory's legend grew and new stories about her, including that she was a vampire who liked to bathe in the blood of virgins to maintain her youthful appearance, began to spread even further than the original rumors. I'm interested to know if that works. <laughs> in, in the market for new anti-aging oh cream. <laughs> Now, pop culture has latched onto this mythologized version of Bathory's true story of depravity and has inspired a number of stories, mm. films, and books, including possibly Bram Stoker's Dracula. So many, in fact, that the legends and myths surrounding the Blood Countess have begun to obscure the truth. What are your thoughts? Uh, pretty much exactly what you said. The truth lies somewhere in the middle. I think she 100% killed tortured and killed hundreds of young women yeah um where it starts to extend to like bathing in their blood yeah. and all that i mean that that's a lot of speculation and that is what happens throughout history is like one story grows and grows and grows rumors grow and grow and grow yeah to become more outlandish and that's why her story has lasted for so so long yeah i agree i think it's somewhere in the middle i think even I do think she probably beat and in some ways tortured her, her people. Mm -hmm. And then maybe some of them died from that. Maybe a lot of them died from that. And then it just kind of grew from there. Oh God. Well, I had never heard of her before and now I know everything about her. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I mean, not everything. There's a lot more, um, but but I will not be, (laughs) will not, I will not be learning more. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) You you got enough. You got your, okay. Thanks for, thanks for my synopsis. That's all I needed. (laughs) No problem. So now that the main story is done, I did just want to compare and contrast a couple other instances of female serial killers of the early modern era, which is like between medieval times and like Victorian era. Because there are enough to compare her to. Oh yeah. And these are, just a handful of a large amount god so interesting (sighs) the first is daria soltikova or saltikov a russian noblewoman who tortured and murdered over 100 of her serfs in the mid 1700s the majority of which were also women and girls what is that about? I don't know. <laughs> oh, my God. So daughter of Russian nobles and married into the famous Saltikov family, who we mentioned in mm-hmm. the Catherine the Great episode last season. Mm-hmm. She was widowed in 1755 and inherited a massive estate with over 600 serfs. Oh. Rumor has it that Saltikov was a scorned woman having been jilted by a lover who took out her rage on the peasant women. That was my first thought when you were saying, like, what is that about these women, like, taking out all this vengeance on young girls? Is it a jealousy thing? It's a control thing. Yeah. So she would beat, whip, and torture her victims, often, often breaking bones. 
In some instances, she must have learned from Bathory because she would throw women outside naked in the snow, then pour boiling hot water on their oh bodies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Soltikov only killed three male serfs. Okay, only three. The rest, yeah, <laughs> only three. Only killed three men. Okay, got Yeah, it. the rest were women, and to her, the younger the better. Oh, my God. Yeah. Much like Bathory, her noble status allowed her to get away with her misdeeds for a long time. Seven years to be exact, until she was finally arrested for 38 counts of murder in 1762 and found guilty and sentenced in 1768. Russia had just abolished the death penalty under Catherine Mm -hmm. um, about a decade earlier, so her punishment, uh, public beating... And then life imprisonment. There was a couple other things involved in the public beating, but yeah, she like got taken um, to like a town square and like beat. Like it was literally like a scene from Game of Thrones. Oh wow! And then eventually she did die in 1801. According to historians today, it was clear Saltykov suffered from mental illness, which became more and more obvious during her final years while imprisoned. Yes. I wonder, is there an element uh, not excusing any of these women, but obviously, like, we have two women now that had either, like, physical or mental ailments. Yeah. That were not recognized and diagnosed. Yeah. I mean, that was, you were a witch, you know, you were a witch witch if you had anything like that. Wow. Next up is the infamous Catalina de la Rios y Lisberguer, a.k.a. La Quintrala. Mm. Okay. Born in 1604, Lisbergue. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's a really it. beautiful name. Yeah, Lisbergue was a Chilean aristocrat and landowner who carried out roughly 40 murders. So we're going down every time, right? Yeah, 40. <laughs> no, that's nothing. <laughs> Not impressed. <laughs> <laughs> Similar uh, to. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Similar to Saltykov, uh, Lisbergware had a violent temper and took it out on her subordinates, most of which were indigenous workers. She began her killing spree when she was just 18 years Mm -hmm. old, allegedly poisoning her father. (gasps) Her own dad. Yeah. And she was alleged to have followed this up by murdering lovers and priests and, like Bathory, used her wealth and privilege to avoid justice for years. Sure. She later began violently attacking her slaves, killing many in the process, and supposedly killed even more lovers by stabbing them to death. How many lovers does someone have? I mean... No judgment, but (laughs) I guess I wouldn't have very many people to kill. I mean, we know it's under 40, right? Because 40 was her total number. 40 is still a a lot in comparison (laughs) to my love life, is all I'm saying. (laughs) In 1660, the magnitude of complaints and allegations against her reached a pinnacle and an investigation into her crimes was launched. She was eventually charged with 40 counts of murder, but her connections and power won out and she was actually never convicted. Oh my God. She lived out the rest of her life as a free woman. I actually was waiting for you to say that about any one of these women because we know that there's a lot of privilege and power. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. It should be stated that some historians now believe that many of the allegations against Lisbergware um, were exaggerated or concocted as a warning about women being in powerful positions. Oh, wow. So of all of the ones that I read about, hers was the one that I was like, I don't, there's not a ton of evidence. Sure. And that's how I'm feeling too, based on what you've shared. Hers is the one that I'm most like, Meh. Yeah. 
Like, is it just they were like, here's a woman in power. We need, we to, need to bring her down yeah. somehow. Yeah. Okay. Our final example of an early modern female serial killer is Julia Tofana. And I'm going to have to say serial killer with air quotes mm-hmm. um, because it isn't quite the right term for this gal. And perhaps you'll see why. Um, it should also be said that almost all of the stories I'm about to throw at you about her are unsubstantiated other than her specific dates like birth and death and whatnot. Okay. Tofana was born in 1620 in Palermo, Italy, and was described as a beautiful, beautiful woman. Mm. Um, it is theorized that she may actually be the daughter of um, Tofania Dadamo who was executed in Palermo in 1633, accused of having murdered her husband, Francis. Okay, so obviously her daughter will also be a murderer, too. Yeah. That's how it works. Runs in the family. (laughs) Yeah. Tofana spent a lot of time with apothecaries and was present when they made their potions, learning from them, and eventually she developed her own poison, now known as Aqua Tofana. Her own, po- her poison has. It name. had its own, like it was. It was apparently really good poison. Like it was like really good. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. Okay. So she was known to have sold <gasps> her poison. I what? see. No, just she was known to have sold it. Oh okay, yeah. So she. I see why it has a name. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So she was known to have sold her poison to women who wanted to escape abusive husbands. There's a market there. Yeah, and eventually was making enough money off of this venture that she was able to move her business to Naples and Rome. So she was like making money off of selling poison. I'm assuming on the black market. I mean, it was the f***ing... It was 1600. So they could do so, whatever? Like, she just probably... Yeah. Selling on her Instagram. Yeah. Poison to kill your abusive <laughs> husband. She might have, like, put a sign up in her own home that said, like, poison. Get rid of him. Come hither. Come hither. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Fana was apparently sympathetic to the low status of women and most often sold her poison to women trapped in unhealthy and dangerous marriages. Mm-hmm. She became known as a friend to the troubled wife and received many referrals. Okay, so she would, in addition to supplying them with poison, would give them like a brief counseling session. Yeah, absolutely. Got it. I'm sure. <laughs> Tofana's business was eventually revealed to the papal authorities in Rome by a customer. However, she was so popular that the locals protected her from apprehension. She escaped to a church where she was granted sanctuary when um, a rapid rumor claiming that she had poisoned the public water tore through Rome. The police forced their way into the church and dragged her in for questioning. Okay. Under torture, she confessed to killing 600 <gasps> men with her poisons in Rome alone between 1633 and 1651 and was eventually executed in 1659 alongside her daughter who also took up in the poison selling trade <laughs> God. so she actually is the most prolific of them the reason i think she's not considered or i don't consider her a serial killer or murderer is she wasn't the one actually doing it. the poison yeah but obviously an accomplice yeah I wanted to point out again that Tofana is one of the few instances I was able to find of female serial killers of this time that was not a member of nobility yeah. and did not have the wealth, power, and connections that the other three did. Yeah, and if I'm going to choose the most likable one. <laughs> she was like trying thing, to help women yeah. in need. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's where I'm going with this, yeah. <laughs> okay, it should be said that these are just a few of the 
many female serial killers of the 16th through 18th centuries. If you're interested in looking up more because you are sick like us, (laughs) look into Elizabeth Branch, Elizabeth Brownrigg, and Delphine LaLaurie, among others. Apparently, Elizabeths are really... Yeah, I'm seeing that. Watch out, Lizzie's. Yeah. Lizzie Lizzie. Borden. Oh, my God. Serial killer thing. Now, before I conclude this whole thing, I want to open it up for discussion, Rachel. Mm. Why do you think it is that female serial killers hold such a fascination in our society? Well, I think actually I just mentioned her right there, Lizzie Borden. You remember we covered her, I think, season two. Yeah. Um, she she clearly killed yeah. her parents, right? Yeah. I mean, that's not disputed, but she was found, she was acquitted of their murder by a jury of 12 white Christian men who simply could not believe that women have the capacity to kill. I'm so glad you said that. Is that what you were hoping? Yes, right. So I I think that's the fascination. But you know, what is interesting is the evolution that women have had because from the like beginning of humanity, like the fall in the Garden of Eden, right? Like Mm -hmm. Adam and Eve, Eve is to blame for Mm -hmm. why we have suffering on earth Mm -hmm. and everything, right? And we even we've covered the Salem wish trials. And I think that that like same theme carried on that like women are more, I don't know, it's more susceptible to be persuaded and and to crimes. And, you know, it's just in our nature to be weak and easily manipulated. Right. Mm -hmm. But then we do see this other wave of uh, women are instantly at fault, always like, you know, the Salem witch trials. Oh, yeah. Thing. And then we see like Lizzie Borden, like there's no way that a woman could have committed a murder like that. And we see that with uh, Jane Stanford. Remember, she was poisoned yep. and killed. Um, another I think that's another element of why female serial killers are so fascinating is because like even in the Jane Stanford episode, we talked about how women um, are never the ones to commit like a violent crime. If they're mm-hmm. going to kill someone, it's by poison or something right and that's why it's so fascinating because i think we're just geared to not believe that women can do these things and if they do it's in very non-violent manners yeah so that's exactly right that's pretty much what i was saying is i think the fact that female murderers and serial killers exist goes directly against the stereotype of female submission, Mm -hmm. docility, Mm -hmm. passiveness Mm -hmm. that Western society has placed on women. Totally. uh, Which I suspect is often also the reason behind their atrocities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rebelling against the system and taking back power. Yep. But in very, very, very bad ways. Very bad ways. (laughs) Would not recommend. Highly do not recommend. Do not recommend. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. You can check out all of our sources on hashtag history-pod.com. You can also find us on Instagram. We are at hashtag history underscore podcast, where we do lots of cool stuff and posting pictures constantly. Yeah, constantly. We just did a really fun um, live today where we answered a bunch of you guys' questions. Um, So always check us out on Instagram. And then um, you can also please leave us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Mm -hmm. And that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Yes, thanks. Bye. Bye. We got it. We got this. We're fine. You need to chug your drink. Good. (laughs) Are those the um, vocals you're using for your voiceovers? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) Record. There is no hard evidence. (laughs) Uh, To give you a...
Okay, that wasn't a full sentence. <laughs> <laughs> interesting, interest. <sighs> Interestingly, in the 1500s, stop. I'm, just, I'm like, I'm nervous for myself because, <laughs> like, you already feel it. Uh, a tiny bit. Yeah. <laughs> we have up such a long ways to go. I know. Okay. Um, catch the. Oh my God, catch the key. Catch. <laughs> <laughs> So pretty quickly, Nat. Oh my God, these names. <laughs> the fuck was that? That's so breaking news. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyway, that may happen again. Sorry. Okay. So don't be scared. <laughs> uh...